This is Soul Searching, Gay Essay Radio's show of the year in 2016. This is the program where we explore all spiritual, psychological and wellness matters that matter. I'm a therapist, NLP practitioner and coach of many years' experience, and I understand the challenges life throws at us in this fast-paced modern world. This show offers you alternative ideas, new ways of looking at life, and practical solutions to help you redesign your life for the better. Personal growth isn't always easy. It requires that you do a bit of real soul-searching by conducting a penetrating self-examination of your motives, convictions, and attitudes. You should regularly challenge your personal beliefs and thoughts to open your mind to fresh ideas and free thinking. I'll be asking those awkward questions, poking holes in rigid belief systems, and challenging the way the world taught us to think. I don't expect you to give up your sacred beliefs, and there are times when you will disagree with me. That's just perfect. So thank you for being an important part of this community, and remember that you do contribute to the success of the show by sharing it with your friends. I'm Tom Budge. The topic of our show today is Biblical Proof for a Flat Earth, Fact or Fiction. This is part one of two parts. The flat earth model is an archaic conceptualization of earth's shape being one of a plane or disk. The myth of a giant turtle or tortoise supporting or containing the world occurs in Hindu, Chinese and in Native American mythology. Ancient Egyptian paintings and religious artifacts demonstrate the close relationship between spiritual beliefs and the moon and sun. The moon was believed to be the nightly replacement of the sun, the sun being paramount and the lesser moon being the ruler of the stars. These two objects were depicted as flat disks, often shown as elaborate headgear worn by the Egyptian gods. For many Christians, the idea of a flat earth begins and ends with scripture. Old Testament writings of Isaiah are cited among the evidence. One passage reads, It is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. There is a big distinction between the words circle and ball, but the Bible deliberately chooses the Hebrew word for circle in favor of the one for ball, thus implying that the earth is disc-like. Further biblical evidence comes from the time of Christ's temptation. Remember, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory? This would have been impossible on a spherical earth. Let me describe the configuration of a flat earth model. If you were far enough away from earth, you would see a gigantic ball of seawater suspended in space. This watery ball would be more than 50,000 kilometers in diameter. Inside the upper half of this liquid ball, you would find a solid domed shell. Imagine, as an example, a hemispherical bowl turned upside down and submerged in a basin of water. It would trap a pocket of air underwater. The surface of the water inside the bowl would be flat. This is the conceptual model of a flat earth. 
Let me introduce the biblical terminology that describes this. It speaks of the firmament and the waters that lie beyond the firmament. Elsewhere, the Bible also speaks of doorways to heaven, and it also refers to the watery deep. How do we map our idea of a flat earth with these biblical terms? Come back to our demonstration model of an upturned hemispherical basin submerged in water. The Genesis account of creation describes it this way. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This account easily fits our flat earth model. The trapped air inside the upturned bowl describes the space the Bible calls heaven and earth. This huge bubble of air trapped beneath the upturned hemispherical canopy of the firmament was in pitch darkness. The Bible says that darkness was upon the face of the deep. The deep here referring to the watery depths of this enormous flat ocean that lay beneath the gigantic overarching canopy which held the air in place. At this point in time, the earth was without form. Nothing existed other than a vast, flat ocean of unfathomable depth. Just like our upside-down bowl, submerged underwater, there was water beneath the ocean surface as well as water above the canopy. This is how the Genesis account describes it. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. What do we understand by the word firmament? Middle English, around 1250 to 1300, incorporated the late Latin word firmamentum into the language. The word is made up of two parts. Firmare meaning to support or prop up, and mentum, meaning a concrete result of a certain action. Literally then, to strengthen or support sky. The material comprising the upturned bowl in our analogy, the thing that separates the water below from the water above, is what the Bible calls the firmament. God also calls the firmament heaven. God set about creating luminaries, the sun, moon, planets, and stars. Here's the Genesis account. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. It can easily be deduced from these passages that the stars were painted on the inside surface of the dome. These are fixed in position and form the constellations we know today. The sun and moon are slightly different. They move around and create day and night. How is this possible in our flat earth model? 
Think of this vast, disk-like ocean reaching to the edges of the firmament in all directions, as if it were a large analog clock resting on a table. The clock would have hour and minute hands that sweep across the surface in a clockwise direction. The hands move at predictable rates, but each in its own time. The sun and moon, in our flat earth model, operate in precisely the same way the hour and minute hands do on our clock. The sun sweeps across this vast ocean at a relatively low altitude, traveling in a clockwise direction, giving us the illusion that it rises in the east and sets in the west. But it is like a little bead glued to the minute hand of your watch, traveling over its face. Both sun and moon are actually much smaller than the ones we were taught about in our spherical model. When the sun is at the 10 o'clock position, It'll be midday in that part of the world, but midnight diametrically opposite at the five o'clock position. Unlike the conventional spherical model, the flat Earth one doesn't have Earth tilted at 23 degrees, accounting for seasonal fluctuations. Instead, for six months, the sun slowly spirals in towards the center of the world, and then for the next six months, it spirals back outward, approaching the world's outer rim, the place where the ocean meets the firmament. This rhythmical spiraling inwards and outwards gives rise to seasonal changes. The sun's closest approach to the center of the world is the Tropic of Cancer, and the furthest point the sun reaches on its outward spiral is the Tropic of Capricorn. The moon spirals in and out too, but not nearly to the same extent as the sun does. The flat earth model is supported by other texts in the Bible. Take the example of Joshua's writings in the Old Testament when he describes how God magically and literally stopped the clock. The Bible account reads, The sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. The only way God could have done this with a spherical earth would have been to stop the earth rotating on its own axis, but instead he would have found it very easy to stop the clockwork movements of the sun and moon for a day in our flat earth model. There is an experiment used to prove that the earth is not globular. It is called the Bishop Experiment. Here's the experiment's description. California Monterey Bay is a relatively long bay that sits on the shores of the Pacific Ocean. The distance between the extremes of Monterey Bay, Lover's Point in Pacific Grove, and Lighthouse State Beach in Santa Cruz is just over 23 statute miles, about 37 kilometers. On a very clear and chilly day, it is possible to see Lighthouse Beach from Lover's Point and vice versa. With a good telescope, Laying down on the stomach at the edge of the shore on the Lover's Point beach, 20 inches above sea level, it is possible to see people at the water's edge on the adjacent beach 23 miles away near the lighthouse. The entire beach is visible down to the water splashing upon the shore. Upon looking into the telescope, one can see children running in and out of the water, splashing and playing. One can see people sunbathing at the shore and teenagers merrily throwing frisbees to one another. One can see runners jogging along the water's edge with their dogs. 
From this vantage point, the entire beach is visible. However, if the Earth is a globe and is 24,900 English statute miles in circumference, the surface of all standing water must have a certain degree of convexity. Every part must be an arc of a circle. From the summit of any such arc, there will exist a curvature or declination of 8 inches in the first statute mile. In the second mile, the fall will be 32 inches. In the third mile, 72 inches or 6 feet. Ergo, looking at the opposite beach over 23 miles away, there should be a bulge of water over 350 feet tall blocking our view. But there isn't. The Flat Earth Society's website tells us that surveyors' operations in the construction of railroads, tunnels or canals are constructed without the slightest allowance being made for curvature, although it is taught that this so-called allowance is absolutely necessary. One example is the Suez Canal, which is just under 200 kilometers in length. It links the Mediterranean and Indian Oceans, giving shipping a shortcut between east and west, thus avoiding the long and arduous journey around the African continent. Despite its length, the canal is as flat as a pancake, without a hint of curvature. Let me add another proof from the many that you'll find on this society's website. Standing on the beach, carefully examine the horizon where sea and sky meet, and you will notice that it remains at eye level, to the left and to the right. If Earth was a ball, the horizon would drop away to the left and to the right, but it doesn't. Moreover, if Earth's surface was curved, we should begin to look down at the horizon, the higher up we go, but this is not the case. The horizon, when viewed from our seat in an aircraft flying at 10 kilometers above sea level, always stays at eye level. The sun, dipping below the horizon when it sets, and ships going over the horizon when they travel away from you, is just a myth. What you are actually seeing are converging lines of perspective, creating an optical illusion of a ship getting smaller and smaller as it travels further and further away. Eventually, it becomes a tiny speck on the horizon and you won't see it anymore. If you stood on top of Mount Everest, the tallest mountain on Earth, you should be able to get a glimpse of Mount Kilimanjaro, the tallest mountain in Africa. So why can't you? For two very logical reasons. One, because of the converging lines of perspective, making an object appear smaller the further away it is. And two, there is so much atmosphere between these mountains that obscures and absorbs the light reflected off one, thus preventing it from reaching the other. The law of parsimony is attributed to William of Ockham around 1287 to about 1347, which states, Among competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions should be selected. To sustain the belief in the round earth, many complex formula and theories were postulated. One of these theories is the theory of gravity. In the flat earth model, gravity does not exist and is unnecessary. Objects fall to the ground because that's what they do. One does not need complex gravitational theories to explain why people can't fall off the bottom of the spherical earth. How do we, however, using the flat earth model, explain GPS navigation and satellite communications. 
The Flat Earth Society categorically denies the existence of all satellites, claiming that they are part of an elaborate hoax conspired by the Illuminati, the enlightened ones, to fool us into believing that the Earth is a ball in space. But this need not necessarily be the case. I have already explained how the Sun and Moon could function on a flat Earth, and there would be no difference with satellites either. Some could be placed in geostationary orbits, ones where the satellite remains positioned directly over a particular spot on the ground, while others could move over the Earth's flat surface as do the Sun and Moon. Next, with still lots of momentum to his creative energy, God makes the landmass. This is how the Genesis account describes it. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Within this vast spherical ocean, God created the landmass, like a gigantic iceberg floating in the sea. The continents poked out above the waterline and are surrounded by sea at their shores, but they are all anchored to a common foundation, preventing them from floating about independently. Life on the ground did not come from the oceans, but was specifically created in situ by God. We are led to believe that Earth is a ball and that the continents are mapped as we see them on a globe, but what would a map of a flat Earth look like? Understanding that this vast disk-like ocean, reaching all the way out to the dome of the firmament, has a center, just like an analog clock has its center. The sun and moon pivot around this point, just like the hour and minute hands do on our clock. If we positioned the North Pole at the center of the ocean, we could then plot all the continents on different radials, mapping them along these imaginary spokes of a wheel. These spokes extend from the center of the Earth in all directions and are what we call lines of longitude. Starting at the center of the Earth, and no matter in which direction we travel, if we traveled southwards in a straight line, we would eventually reach the Antarctic shores. Unlike the spherical Earth's model, which believes that the Antarctic is a continent positioned over the South Pole, the flat Earth model has the Antarctic shoreline wrapping around the entire circumference of this disk-like ocean. Obviously, if one travels southwards from the center of the Earth, one would always reach the outer rim of the disk at some point on the Antarctic shoreline. The main terrestrial difference between the spherical Earth model and the flat Earth one is that there is no South Pole in the flat model. Instead, the Antarctic shoreline runs along the outer rim of this flat disk, where the sea meets the firmament. Because Antarctic runs all the way around the outer margin of this flat disk, no ship could ever reach Earth's edge and fall off. When explorers like Scott, who said they travelled to the South Pole, 
What they were actually doing was walking along the perimeter of the disk, believing that they were walking across the imaginary pole. If you wish to see a map of the flat Earth, then you need look no further than the map which forms the central motif of the United Nations logo. Google it for yourself. The spot on the firmament directly above the center of the Earth, what we commonly call the North Pole, is where we find the gateway to heaven. It is close to the North Star Polaris. It is a portal through the firmament and through the waters above the firmament that leads out of this entire gigantic ball of water. The space outside the spherical ball is heaven, where God and the angels live. This portal is guarded by the pearly gates. Jacob's dream gives us a clue of how the gateway to heaven operates. And he dreamed, and behold a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father. The ascension of Jesus describes the departure of Christ from earth into the presence of God in heaven. The well-known narrative in the book of Acts takes place 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. He, in the company of his disciples and in their full sight, ascends upwards until a cloud hides him from their view. Two men in white appear and tell him that he will one day return to earth on a cloud through the same gateway to heaven. In these biblical accounts that describe the flat earth model, we end up with three different kinds of heaven. First heaven comprises the round dome of the firmament and the space that fills it. This is where we find sun, moon, clouds, planets and stars. Second heaven is the primordial sea, a layer of ocean situated above the firmament, also known as the waters of the firmament. And third heaven is the great realm of God beyond the portal that connects first and third heaven. Third heaven is completely outside this gigantic ball of water. Hell, on the other hand, is situated in the common landmass foundation of molten rock upon which the continents rest. Only the Illuminati have all the facts about the flat earth model, but they keep this knowledge of earth's true configuration hidden because it holds the masses in slavery and makes them more manageable. It's part of the great conspiracy which keeps secret many other paranormal, extraterrestrial and supernatural facts. The Flat Earth Society explains why we have been lied to about Earth's true shape. They say the first reason for the lie is to maintain legitimacy. And they justify it this way. During the Cold War, we faked the moon landing. Shortly after, they realized the reason they could not reach the moon was due to the flatness of the Earth. They were stuck in a lie and had to continue it or lose legitimacy of our governments. Even today, we still hold on to this lie due to the role science plays in our ruling government. The second reason for the lie is to hide the truth of the Bible. And the third and final reason is to gain power and money by siphoning off space budgets and denying the world the resources of the Antarctic from which they gain a considerable amount of power and wealth. I have been lecturing at the Witwatersrand University's planetarium in Johannesburg for over 20 years and have accumulated lots of astronomical knowledge. 
So what is truth and what is fiction? And does it really matter if Earth is flat or spherical? You will have to listen to the second part of the show to know what science offers as evidence to justify its belief in a round Earth model. But however, what is the point of these shows? In our next episode, I shall delve into biblical interpretation and shall investigate what lessons we can learn from all of this and how it helps maintain a clear head in many other important aspects of life. Thank you for listening to Soul Searching here on Gay SA Radio. Your comments and suggestions help shape this show, and I'm always happy to receive them. Write to me at studio at gayessayradio.co.za or post on the station's social media platforms using the hashtag GaySARadio. My Twitter handle is at TWEBudge. This program premieres on Sundays at 5 p.m. and repeats the following Sunday at 8.30 a.m. A full set of podcasts in this series is available on the station's website, gayessayradio.co.za. Stay right here on Gay SA Radio for all your favorite music, discussions, lifestyle facts, and the latest news. My name is Tom Budge. Until next time, goodbye.